Well, once again, good morning. Great to be back with you all this morning. Um, if you were here last week, we were, me and my family were out of town. We got a little vacation in this last week, which was uh, so refreshing, so relaxing. And it's just so nice that we are at a place where um, we know we can leave and go on a vacation and be gone on a Sunday, and you guys are still in good hands. And so was really grateful to be able to, yeah, yeah, you can give a hand for Jason. Really grateful to be able to tune in last week via the live stream and, and join with you guys as Jason closed out our series on following the way of Jesus and, and took us through evangelism and what it looks like to share your story with others and that it's a such an important part of the Christian life. I love the way that he broke that down. We all picture the guy on the soapbox out at the mall or on the pier, but, but what does that look like practically for each of us and how it is an, an essential part of the Christian life? Well, today, as you see on the screen there, we're jumping into a new series for our summer that we're calling a, a summer mixtape. So for all of you younger students, this is what you used to listen to music on before the days of Spotify. And believe it or not, there was even another gap in there of CDs which are probably a little more familiar to some of you. But we're going to be looking at some of the Psalms, specifically the Psalms of David throughout this summer. You know, the Psalms are a well-worn collection of songs and, and hymns and prayers that really speak to the ups and downs of life. If you read through the Psalms of David, you don't have to read very long to find one that you can relate with in just about any season of life. There are the good times and there are the bad times. There are times of celebration and there are times of mourning and confusion. All of it is, is given to us in the Psalms in a very honest and raw way. Um, that's because that's the reality of the Christian life, right? Some might say the, the walk of a Christian is like a walk in the park. And I would agree, but I would add one more thing. I would say that the walk of a Christian is like a walk in Jurassic Park, right? It's a walk in the park, but one filled with all sorts of turns and unexpected things that you weren't planning for. And in this world, we experience times of joy, times of sorrow, times of anger, and times of shame. There's times of love and jealousy and hope, but also despair, betrayal, and, and sometimes loyalty, along with so much more. And emotions, we understand as believers, they're a gift from God, the emotions He has given us. They're a part of His God-given design that He's created us with. But how do we direct those emotions and keep our eyes fixed on God and the ups and downs of life. Maybe you're coming to church this morning and you're like the giddy kids that first get to Jurassic Park and you're in the car and you get to see the animals or the dinosaurs on the other side of the fence. You're just loving life right now. Things are going well. It's all a smooth ride. You're just really happy to be here and life's going great. Or maybe you're feeling like the kids on the second part of the movie. And you're crouched down in a kitchen with a velociraptor on the counter, okay? It's a very different set of emotions you're experiencing in that scenario. Maybe today you're coming to church and it just took everything in you to get here this morning. And maybe this isn't a day that you're celebrating. Maybe it's a day that you were dreading coming to. And maybe the, the emotions that could summarize your week, your season of life are not ones of joy and excitement and, and laughter, but maybe it's a lot more of sorrow and difficulty and anger and frustration and, and confusion. How did I get here? Well, I have good and bad news for you this morning as we jump into this series. The bad news is that the Psalms are not going to speak to you in Jurassic-themed illustrations. Maybe that's the good news. I don't know. But the good news for sure is that they will speak to whatever gambit of emotions you may be experiencing currently and have been experiencing. King David authored many of the Psalms, and throughout this summer, we're going to look specifically at some of these Psalms of David and learn how to steward our lives well in both the ups and the downs. 
on how to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and keep a healthy perspective no matter what season we might be in. But this morning we're going to do something a little different. In light of Father's Day, as we begin this series, we're actually going to jump and fast forward to the end of David's life. We're going to be looking at David and some of the insights that he gives us as a father speaking to his son Solomon at the end of his life. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some on the ends of the pews. Grab it. If you need a Bible, write your name in it. That is yours. Take it home with you. We want you to be able to have your own Bible. And if you're writing notes this morning, a little extra credit for you, go ahead and write down that title this morning. We're looking at a legacy of faith. A legacy of faith. Now, I'm sure many of you know, but just for a simple definition of what we're talking about when we talk about a legacy. A legacy is, is a thing handed down, to put it simply. It's just something passed down to the next generation, to a child, to a family member, to a friend. Maybe, maybe sometimes we tend to think of it in money or an estate, something that's handed down in your passing. But specifically today, what we want to look at through the life of David and his final charge to his son is a legacy of your faith and how that is being passed down to the next generation. So 1 Kings chapter 2, if you're there, you can follow along with me beginning in verse 1. We read, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke to me, or concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, And with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruai, did to me. And what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed and shed the blood of war in peacetime. And put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to, to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and you know what you ought to do to him but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Lord, as we open your word this morning, as we gather together as your people, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. We come before your word humbly, recognizing our need for greater understanding, for greater wisdom, for instruction. Lord, we need your guidance this morning. We need spiritual eyes to see the truth within your word. God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you reveal your word, that it would be implanted into our hearts, and that it would bear much fruit for your glory. 
we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father who has left us a legacy of faith. And we pray that we would honor that legacy today. That we would take responsibility for the part we play in it. And that we would in turn pass on a legacy of faith to those who come after us. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, part of our trip being away, my wife and I with our kids, was that we got to visit my folks up in Northern California. And my grandfather has recently moved to the area and, and is living in a care home just behind my parents' house, and I got the opportunity to go and visit him. And I share a special bond with this grandfather of mine. We actually uh, share the same middle name. I was named after him. We both have a middle name, Alexander. And I'm kind of built like him as well, kind of tall and slender guys. And, um, and he's a very good-looking guy. I didn't quite get that from him. But, but as I got to sit with him, he's 96 years old. And, and before um, I left... I asked him a question. I asked him this question, kind of thinking in light of what we're looking at this morning on Father's Day. I said, what advice do you have for me? You know, as a, as a younger man and looking up to you, a man who's lived a full life and has, has raised up your children well, like, what, what advice do you have for me that you would like to give me this morning? And he thought for a minute, and he just, just gave me one sentence. That was it. He just said, take good care of your wife and kids and love them well. That was it. That was all the advice he wanted to give me. There was nothing else, no fluff, no addition to that, no explanation. Just take good care of your wife and kids and love them well. Wise words from a very wise man. And they speak directly to one of the first things we see here as David charges his son Solomon with some wise words. The first thing we see here in David leaving a legacy of faith to his son is that it it's not about us. It's, it's not about us. The thing he passed on to me, the thing that David passes on to his son is not, well, you've got to make a name for yourself, kid. It, it wasn't about him at all. It was about those that he was loving and caring for well. What do we le- read here that David is doing as, as the day draws near that he should die? He charges Solomon his son. And he charges him with a charge of the Lord. It's not about him. C.T. Studd, a man who served the Lord well, wrote a poem. And this was the name of the poem and one of the, the main verses within the poem it continues to go back to. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. David, in a moment that he realizes his time has come, As we talked about when we looked at stewardship, right, the Lord was going to take ownership once again of the lease of his life. The time had come to completion. The Lord was going to repossess his time, his breath, everything that was a gift to him. And so in this moment, he brings his son Solomon before him because the days of David drew near that he should die. Hear me on this this morning. This is true for everybody here in attendance. We all have a limit. There will come a day when we will die. I love how the text words it, that David drew near that he should die. And what does he tell Solomon? I go the way of all the earth. There's nothing special about this king. He doesn't doesn't get excluded from that fact. He goes the way of all the earth. That we are all heading towards that final limit. No matter how much we exercise, no matter how good of genes you have in your family, no matter how much spinach and green smoothies you drink, we all go the way of the earth and one day our limit is up. And if we want to make a great impact that leaves a legacy that lives on after us, we must acknowledge our limits and prepare in light of them. I'm sure you'd agree with me that there have been many incredible leaders and rulers, faithful, powerful, impactful, that did not leave a legacy because they lived their lives denying their limits and didn't prepare for the day they wouldn't be here. There was no passing on the things they had learned. 
There was no preparing the next generation and raising them up to take their place. It was a maybe prideful, maybe just unwilling to admit that that limit would come one day, but they don't seek to pass on what they've been given. Well, Jesus was a leader that prepared his disciples well for the time when he would be gone. He spoke to it multiple times to his disciples to prepare them for the day that he was going to Jerusalem to die. There was no secret to them. And along that way, he was preparing them and teaching them and giving them responsibility and opportunity to grow and to be ready for that day when he would be gone. That's because Jesus was a good leader. That's because Jesus was leaving a legacy of faith. That's because Jesus was preparing these men to be the church and to spread the gospel into all the world and make disciples of every nation. This is good discipleship. This is what's necessary if you're going to leave a legacy of faith, not building a following that revolves around us. Now, we've seen this before, and the moment that leader falls, what happens to that movement? It crumbles with them. My hope is that this would be a church that is not built around any one man, unless that man is Jesus Christ. That tomorrow, if I die in a car accident, church continues on moving forward because it wasn't built around me. It's built around Jesus Christ and His Word. And good discipleship, it raises up leaders. Not just to fill the gap when we're gone, but to begin to take on roles even while we're still here. That we might still offer support and guidance to them. Parents, are you raising up your children and preparing them well to be leaders that are worth following? Are you giving them opportunity and responsibility even within your home where you might guide them and encourage them and support them? Every time I leave on a trip, Hudson is reminded that when I'm gone, he's the man of the house. And as the man of the house, even all five years old of him, he's responsible. He has chores. He has responsibilities. He has duties. And when I come home, I'm coming to Hudson to say, Did you honor well the responsibility I gave you? Did you do a good job at being the man of the house? Now, of course, there are things he can't do while I'm gone that mom is going to step in and do for him. But even from a young age, I want him to understand his responsibility as a man, to lead, to care for his sister and his mother and to look out for them and to protect them. Are we raising up our children in this way? as parents, as grandparents, even as friends and co-workers and siblings? Are we looking to help raise up those around us and prepare them for what's ahead? Are we helping them carry on this legacy of faith that we have been given and has been handed down to us? For David, that was taking a moment to pour into his beloved son at his passing. Now, David had the benefit of knowing it was his final moment, and he gave his son this final address before his life was over. The reality is, many of us will not get that kind of warning. This is a blessing and a gift for David, but most of us don't know when that day will come. Most of us aren't given a time limit to prepare for. Let's redeem the time we have today. This is all that you're guaranteed. And how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, through the example of David, we get out of the way. And we charge them and we point them to the greater leader in Jesus. We point them to the one that will be with them even after we go on to be with the Lord, the one who will never leave them or forsake them, the one who is faithful when we are faithless, the perfect example in Jesus. We don't seek to make followers of ourselves. The only time Paul would call someone to imitate him 
was as he imitated Christ. If I'm following and walking in the ways of the Lord, I want my kids to imitate that. But the moments Lucas is just being Lucas, no, I want them to look at Jesus, the better example. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul writes, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. In Philippians 2, 5 through 7, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. If we want to carry on the legacy of faith that we have been given well and hand it on to the next generation well, It looks like making ourselves of no reputation, that the one we preach is not ourselves, it is Christ. That if there's one name you remember, it wouldn't be our name. It would be the name of Jesus. That we would just be a bondservant, carrying on that name that has been given to us, the name that is above every name. It's the name of Jesus. And David, in his final moments, as he charges his son, he charges him, in the way of the Lord your God, to walk in His ways. To walk in the ways of the Lord, not to walk in the footsteps of His Father. Now, David was a man after God's own heart, but that doesn't mean he lived a perfect life. That doesn't mean he wants Solomon to follow in his footsteps. David was a man who made mistakes. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was a man filled with pride in moments and fear in other moments. But a man after God's own heart who continued to come back to the Lord, his source of strength, his refuge, and his hope, his very present help in times of trouble. And that's who he charges Solomon to follow after. Follow after Jesus, the one I followed after. Follow after God. The first thing he charges his son with as he recognizes that he is leaving and will no longer be there to walk with his son, he says to his son, be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. You see, a legacy of faith, it prepares others for war. That's what this is. This isn't a a dad just telling his son, you need to grow up and be tough, son. You You need to put on those boots, and you need to get to work, and you need to you need to push yourself hard. and you, that's, that's not what's going on here. These words that he's using, this is a term used in war. We see this exact phrase used in 1 Samuel chapter 4 by the Philistines. This is what we read in 1 Samuel 4, 9. The Philistines are saying, Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. The very same command that David is giving to his son here, the Philistines were giving to their men in army, or their men in war, as they were preparing to fight. Men who were scared, men who heard this rumbling and didn't know what to do, and they're they're being told, no, 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 conduct yourselves like men and prepare for war. There's a battle coming. Are you preparing those who will come after you for the playground or the battleground? Are you preparing the kids that will come after you, those in your family and those in your workplaces and that surround you each and every day? Are you preparing them for war? Because failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And the world we live in is continually growing more and more hostile towards Christians and the Word of God. And if you're going to follow Christ... And if you're going to stand upon this word as the absolute truth, there's a battle coming. A battle at work, maybe a battle at home, a battle at school, even a battle out at the grocery store. If you're going to stand upon the word of God and you're going to live the Christian life, are you preparing those that are coming after you for that kind of battle? Or are you just trying to set them up in a comfortable way so that they can just kind of cruise through life? Because all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. It's guaranteed. 
and the world we're living in is not getting more godly day by day. It's becoming less godly day after day. How are we preparing our children, those newer in the faith, to face that hostility? Are you raising them up, knowing the word of God in relationship with Jesus, prepared to defend their faith with good apologetics? Are you giving them responsibility even now so that when you're gone is not the first time they're ever called to live out their faith? And are you holding them accountable for their actions while there's still time to correct and instruct and exhort? Don't, ne- no, don't neglect the responsibility God has given you and the charge He's placed in your home and in the environment He's placed you in to exhort those around you to be strong and courageous. To use David and the Philistines' phrase, to act like men. Like Jonathan's armor bearer, don't be afraid to stand by them in the fight. To offer them the support they need, to have their back and encourage them, come what may for the battle ahead, because I can promise you, if you desire to live a life that honors God and is centered upon His Word as truth, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. There is spiritual warfare going on around you, whether you care to admit it and acknowledge it or not. And the most loving thing you can do is not deny that that battle is taking place and try and shelter them from it, Because there will be a day when you go the way of the earth, when you pass on and are no longer there to protect them. How have you prepared them for that day? For David, as he leaves a legacy of faith to his son, he also prepares his son for what's to come. And that looks like preparing him for war. We can't count on someone else to do this for us. You certainly can't count on the culture around you and the school system to do this for you. Charles Spurgeon said these words. They're just as true today as they were then. As the state cannot teach these holy histories, the people of God must take care to do it themselves. The work must be done for every age, for men have short memories in reference to their God and the doings of His power. We don't look to another to pass on the understanding of the Word of God, the testimony of God's faithfulness within our lives, and the call to be good stewards of the gospel we've been given and the grace we've experienced in Jesus. No, we take on that responsibility ourselves as the church. And there is media around us, music and movies and school curriculum that is teaching the exact opposite of what God's Word has instructed us. How are we as the people of God training up children and those young in the faith in the way they should go? How are we giving them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth from the Word of God? Maybe you don't have your own children at home to charge anymore. That doesn't mean there aren't still those you should be charging within the family of God. Like Paul with his son in the faith, Timothy, not born of his own flesh, but a younger believer that he took in as family, as a son, to exhort and encourage and raise up and build up. And what does he say to him in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4? He says, therefore, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and in the things that you have heard from me. So he's taught these to him among many witnesses And commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's not just teaching Timothy. It's also teaching Timothy to teach others. It's discipleship that makes disciples who make disciples. And he moves on to say this in verses 3 and 4. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. That looks like Paul raising up a young son in the faith, not born of his own flesh, 
but a young man that he raises up as a son, that he prepares for war, that he warns that that day is coming and calls him to be strong and be ready, and that he also challenges to teach others who will come after him. How are we leaving behind a legacy that will leave behind a legacy of the Lord? David, we see doing it with Solomon. Paul, we see doing it with Timothy. Jesus, we see doing it with the disciples. How are we as the people of God doing it with those who come after us? How are we seeking to leave a legacy of faith? Well, David first charges him to be strong and prove himself a man. And then he challenges him to to keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. He calls him to action. Not just to know these things, but to walk in all his ways. David is teaching his son that if he desires to succeed in life, it will happen only if he is to obey the words of God. What does it look like to obey the words of God, to walk in his ways? Well, we've spent the last eight weeks talking about that as we looked at walking the way of Jesus, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, that you must be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit that you're feasting daily upon the word of God and being filled with this nourishment, that you're a person of prayer corporately and individually as, a, as the Christian's vital breath to your spiritual life, that you're prioritizing community within the body of Christ where you can be honest and real and admit faults and seek encouragement and accountability and support, that you're a person marked by service because this is what Jesus defined as greatness, that you be the servant of all, ultimately unto the Lord and unto others, that we'd be good stewards of all that God has entrusted us, that we'd be a people that worship in all that we do, not just in our singing. And as Jason showed us last week, that we'd be a people that are sharing our story and passing on the good news of Jesus to others that we're making disciples of all nations and we're continuing to point them to the gospel of Jesus. This is what walking in the ways of God looks like. This is what it looks like to follow his commandments, his precepts, his judgments, his testimonies. It's to share of, of the testimony of what God has done in your life. I wonder, do your kids know what Jesus has done in your life, the way he saved you, what he's brought you out of, should be a story that you tell them often. It should be a story that one day they can tell their kids of the ways that, that Jesus saved grandpa, met him as a sinner, and because of the blood of Jesus and God's grace through faith, that sinner became a saint and was used by God for his glory. Are we passing on those testimonies of what God has done in our lives? And what do we see in the life of Solomon as David charges him here to walk in these ways? Solomon truly living out both of David's instructions as well as his warnings. Solomon began in obedience and is prosperous. Solomon, a man who was given an opportunity by the Lord to ask whatever he desired, and what does he choose to to ask for, but wisdom from the Lord, to understand the will of the Lord and to walk in his ways, following in the instructions of his father. But what do we see later going on in Solomon's life? Walking in disobedience that leads himself and the nation into ruin. And what is Solomon's conclusion at the end of his life? Having heeded the instructions of his father for a season, then walked his own ways and now coming to the conclusion at the end of his life with all the wisdom that God has given him. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. 
sounds a whole lot like the charge he was given from his father at the end of his father's life. Fear God and keep his commandments. If there is a legacy worth leaving, it is that. That our children who come after us, that those younger in the faith would know above all else, you need to fear God and you need to keep his commandments. This is man's all. This is the call we've been given as children of God. And it's more than just who, sh- who someone should be. It's what they should do. It's more than just ideas to know and understand and be able to recite. It's a life to be lived. Proverbs 22.6, what are we instructed? But to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. To train up a child, not just in what they should know, but in the way they should go. Not just in what the Word says, but how that's lived out. And that should always be more than words we're giving our kids. We should have a very living, breathing example for them to look at in us as their parents. In those we disciple in the faith and are raising up and teaching and instructing in the ways of the Lord, they should always have a real-life example in us. So we should never be allowed to, to use the phrase, do as I say and not as I do. No, not among the people of God. No, but we, we walk in the ways of Jesus as we teach in the ways of Jesus. And when we fail, which we will, we point them to the greater example in Jesus, the one who never leaves us, fails us, or forsakes us. Now notice the order of things that, that David is speaking here to Solomon because he makes a bit of a, a drastic, quick turn here. But look at the priority in what he's done. He's charged his son to keep the charge of the Lord, to follow and walk in all the instructions and commands and precepts of God so that he might be prosperous in all he does so that the kingdom would continue to be passed down through David's reign. And then he mentions his personal matters to tend to. Don't mistake the order if you want to leave a good legacy of faith. God first, personal matters second. Why is that important? Because far too many parents are guilty of trying to get out of debt and set up their kids financially before ever investing in their children. They'll work long days. They'll be gone for long trips. And later, once we're financially set, then I'm going to invest in my kids when I have time, when I retire. And for so many, that day doesn't come or that day comes too late when your kids are out of the house And they've been raised up and taught and discipled by another. Note, raise up your children in the Lord first. It's not wrong to want to set them up financially. That's great. That's a good thing to do. But don't do that at the sacrifice of raising them up spiritually. As we've already looked at, don't expect someone else to do that well for you. Better that your kids are set up and established in the Lord, discipled well with a relationship with Jesus, understanding his word without a penny to their name, than that they would have all the money they could ever want, but no relationship with their earthly parents and no true understanding of what it looks like to follow Christ. Let's love our kids well today, and let's not mix up the order here. May the priority always be in the home, first and foremost, that we would follow Christ as a family. In your life, in your family's life, and in all those around you, let's keep the main thing the main thing, and let's not forget man's all, that he would fear God and keep his commandments. And David had a beautiful promise given to him if this was to be the case. That if your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What a beautiful promise for David 
to be assured of. No matter what the Egyptians do or the Babylonians or the Assyrians, no matter what army might come against your people, if your children will walk in my ways and they will seek me with all their heart, no matter what anyone else does, their throne will be established. It's very similar to the promise we've been given in Matthew 6, 33. To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Everything else can come secondary. Everything else we trust the Lord will provide and take care of. He'll give us opportunity and responsibility to walk those things out. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then David instructs his son in some of the the personal matters he desires him to tend to. Some unfinished business with some different men and families. Why is this important? Because as Micah 6.8 tells us, when it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We understand that leaving a legacy of faith also means that we're seeking justice and loving mercy even after we are gone. And we see this come about in two different ways. This wasn't just a little black book of all the people that had wronged David that he now wants his son to go take out for him. That's not what this is. This is a list of retribution and reward. This is a list of those that need punishment for wrongdoing and those who need a reward for good deeds that they had done. First, there's the retribution for Joab. David wants justice for the innocent blood that Joab has shed. We read of what Joab has done, that he put the blood of war on his belt, around his waist, and on his sandals that were on his feet, and killing two innocent men in a time of peace. And I don't want to read into this too much, but it's very interesting that, that Paul would write in the New Testament about the whole armor of God and would speak about this belt, this belt that is meant to be the belt of truth, here that we see covered in blood because of innocent blood spilled in a time of peace that shouldn't have been spilled. And Joab is an interesting character that you can do a study on, a man that seems loyal to a fault at times to David, but also goes about with his own interests in mind and just makes decisions totally contrary to David's heart without ever seeking David's instruction. And this belt that was meant to be a belt of truth that girds our waist, instead it's, it's covered in blood. And the truth of the matter is plainly declared later on in this chapter when Solomon sends out the order for this man to be killed. And he said, Joab struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword, though David did not know it. David is seeking justice for this wrongdoing. He's not allowing innocent blood to be shed without any kind of answering for it. And so he charges Solomon, his son, to take action for this wrongdoing, to not allow this to go unnoticed and unjudged. And sandals, there's blood also mentioned on the sandals of this man. Remember, sandals mentioned in Ephesians 6, shod with the gospel of peace. And yet here there's blood spilt on them, war going on in a time of peace. Sandals that were meant to carry a gospel of peace and hope encouragement and strength instead are covered with blood, 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 wrongfully spilled of innocent men. David doesn't allow this wicked act to go unpunished, but he imparts his son the responsibility of carrying out justice. And then there's Shimei, a man you can read more about in 2 Samuel 16 at another time. But he was guilty for cursing David 
In fact, in Samuel, we actually read that he cursed him, he was spitting at him, kicking up dust, throwing rocks at him and his mighty men. And one of David's men, Abishai, a man I can, I can appreciate in this moment, he's so outraged by this action as David is already on the run and this man comes and is just kicking him while he's down, cursing him and throwing rocks at him and his men. And what does Abishai say? He says, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please, let me go over there and take off his head. That's my kind of man, right? You're going to let this guy throw rocks at you and curse you? You're the rightful king on the run, and he's going to kick you while you're down, while you have no power and authority? David, give me the word. Let me do you a favor and go just take the head off this guy. And yet David had a timely word. He tells him to leave him alone. He recognizes that God's in control and that if God wanted this man's head off his shoulders, it would already be off. And he also recognizes that maybe there's some truth to what this man is saying. And maybe there's some things he can still receive from it. But this is what he says in 2 Samuel 16, 12. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay with me with good for his cursing this day. And we come full circle to a moment that this would come about to David's good as he is now back on the throne imparting these words to his son Solomon to also remember the cursing that this man had done. Entrusting Solomon, the next rightful king, to take action and avenge this cowardly and disgraceful act against David. A man who felt so bold to kick him while he's down and not in a place of authority but now he instructs his son to bring justice. And there's also a reward, though, that he wants to extend in his final passing. Not just the evil deeds that were done that need action, but the good deeds that were done by the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite. He says, they came to me when I fled from Absalom. In contrast to this man that would curse him and throw rocks at him and spit at him, when he was on the run, he's got men who came to him in his time of need, who encouraged and helped and supported him. And for it, David doesn't want their good deed to be forgotten. He says he wants them to eat at his table. And one commentator says to eat at a king's table was the equivalent of having a pension. The beneficiary receiving a regular royal allowance of food and clothing with a house and land to su support him and his family. David doesn't want the good deed of this family that came to him in his time of need to go without recognition. He says, take care of those who took care of me, Solomon. Make sure that you reward those who have done good. It didn't go unnoticed. I want them to always eat at our table. They have a place with us in the royal family. Why is this important why is it important that David mentions specifically these three situations with his very last breath to his son? Because David, like many at the end of his life, perhaps is seeking to right wrongs and not leave any loose ends. It's possible. But I think more importantly, he is seeking to establish his son on a throne of justice, on a throne of truth where good deeds are rewarded and wicked acts are judged, and he doesn't want his son to be brought upon a throne where wrong deeds went unpunished and good deeds went unnoticed. And so before his passing, he says, I want my son's throne to be one established on justice in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that represents the Lord well, in a way that honors that call to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Just as we talked about not leaving it to the world to pass on the right legacy of faith to your children, don't expect the world to define justice for your kids or to demonstrate it to them and how to walk the way of the Lord. Now, we as the people of God need to redeem the time and leave that legacy for our children, for those who will come after us, to call sin, sin. No matter how much the culture might praise it as love or choice 
or acceptance or freedom, as a people of God, let's call sin, sin. We don't have to apologize if the Word of God says something is sin. We don't have to make excuse for it, and we don't have to be shy about it. If we want to train up our children to leave a legacy of faith that is established on justice, let's call sin, sin. Let's call good what the Bible calls good. Even in a world that might curse you for being a bigot, for being close-minded, for being homophobic or judgmental or offensive, let's be a people who call good what Scripture calls good. And don't don't apologize for God's established order and design. But people that can celebrate and praise God for his good design, his good order, and his good structure. Amen? And let's leave a legacy of of children and, and people that will come after us who will follow in the same way. Who celebrate and praise what the Bible calls good. And who unashamedly stand upon what the Bible calls sin as sin no matter who it offends or what it costs us. And let's seek justice in a way that promotes biblical equality. Where all are created equal and all have fallen short of the glory of God and all are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's the biblical justice that we want to support, that we want to celebrate that we want to promote. Loving mercy as one who is given new mercies every morning and understands that we've been given far greater mercy than we deserve. And so we look in part to extend mercy to others, walking humbly as a person that one day will go the way of all the earth, as David and Solomon and those who have gone before us. And we seek to leave a legacy of faith behind for those who will come after us. Not to make a name for ourselves, but to proclaim the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess in this life or the next. For God's glory that his name may be magnified and those that come after us might benefit from what we are passing on to them. This is the legacy of faith that's been handed to you. We've been given it in the word of God and in the examples that have come before us. Some examples worth following. Some examples worth learning from. It's been said that experience is the best teacher, but here's the thing. It doesn't have to be your experience that you learn from. Learn from the bad experiences of those who made mistakes before you. Learn from the good experiences of those who went before you and follow in those footsteps But let's let's be ambassadors of the gospel of Christ who take seriously the legacy that has been handed down to us and take on the responsibility to hand it down to those who come after us well. That they might hear the testimonies of the Lord's faithfulness in those who came before us and in our own lives. And that they might carry that legacy and hand it on to the generation after them. At this time, I want to invite the worship team to come on back up. We're going to be closing in a song of worship this morning, but I'm not so foolish to have assumed that everybody in this room has had a legacy handed down to them, which is one they're proud of. For some of you, your family legacy that has been passed down from generations is not one that you're proud of. And maybe it's a legacy of divorce that has continued to plague your family line. Maybe it's a legacy of addiction that has continued to plague your family. Maybe it's a legacy of of people that are just so far from the Lord and Christ has not been proclaimed in your family. This morning, I want to, to challenge you to break that chain, to rewrite the legacy that is passed down because you have a responsibility not for the legacy of generations before you that came, but for the one that will follow after you. 
And you can be that catalyst that brings a change about in your family line so that the legacy from here moving forward is on a different path, proclaiming a different name than the one that came before you. And maybe for some of you, the first step in that this morning is that you need to give your life to Jesus. That in a family line where maybe there weren't examples of Jesus before you, and maybe you came here and you weren't expecting this to be the decision you were going to make today, I want to give you an opportunity to make the decision to change that legacy and to be a part of the legacy of faith, of a people who were once not God's people, once a people under the power of darkness and in bondage to sin, but now a people who are brought into his marvelous light, who are now a part of the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom there is redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. If you haven't made that decision, if you have not given your life to Jesus, this legacy of faith isn't possible. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now this morning, if that's you, if you need to respond to your sin, if you need to confess Jesus as Lord, and if you need to give your life by faith to him so that you can be forgiven your sins, you can be welcomed into his family, and you can be empowered by his spirit to leave a legacy of faith, I want to ask you to raise your hand at this time because we want you to boldly proclare, declare in front of the family of God that you need to make that decision, and we want to welcome you into the family of God that we might support and pray for you and come alongside you. Is there anyone this morning that needs to raise their hand that needs to make that decision? Well, then I trust today that we are among the family of God those who take seriously the responsibility to leave a legacy of faith for those who will come after us, that take that charge from David, that charge of the Lord personally as a charge to us, a charge that we need to follow and we need to pass down. And would you join with me as we stand at this time and close in a song of praise? in a song of celebration because we are a part of that family. We've been given this legacy of faith and we receive it, we celebrate it, and we sing it out to a God who has been faithful to pass on the truth to us. I'll come back up in a moment. I'll give you an opportunity to respond for anything you might need prayer for this morning and I'll dismiss us. But in this time, would you sing out before the Lord? as a good father who has loved us well, who has taught us, who has equipped us, who has helped us. Let's sing this out. Lord, we do worship your holy name today. It's your name that is great. It's your name that is to be magnified. It's your name above all names that we live and breathe to proclaim. Would that name be magnified in our lives? In the way we lead and the legacy we leave behind, would it be your name that is on our lips and those who come after us? And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as we close this morning, first and foremost, I want to give the invitation to you to come and receive prayer. There are going to be people up here at the front that would love to pray for you. Maybe it's something in your life that you need prayer for. Maybe it's for a loved one that's not here today that needs prayer. Please don't hesitate to come and receive prayer. As you go this morning as a small little shout out to the dads, there's some root beers out there. All you dads, please grab one on your way out. But as you go, I want to read once again just one small portion of Psalm 145 over us as we go. Beginning in verse 4, it says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts and will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works 
Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. May we go and may that be true of us today and all that we do. Happy Father's Day. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.